Welcome. You're listening to The Difference at Work, a KGA podcast for managers and HR professionals eager to hear from experts and bring new perspectives to our work. In offering employee assistance and work-life programs, KGA hears from clients every day about their increasingly complex work environments. On our podcast, you'll have a front row seat for conversations touching upon everything from crisis management and addiction to employee engagement and stress. I'm Kathy Greer, KGA's founder. I'll be talking with Michael Botticelli today. Michael is a leading expert in opioid addiction. He is the executive director of the Graken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center. Michael was previously the director of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy from March to 2014 until January 2017 and was the first person in long-term substance use recovery to hold that position. He is the preeminent leader in substance use prevention and policy development. Thank you so much for joining me, Michael. It's great to be here. Thanks. Well, today we're going to talk about opioids in the workplace and what companies can do. The opioid epidemic has touched every facet of our society including the American workforce. And in your TED Talk, you called it the greatest health crisis of our time. Can you talk a little bit about how it, opioid use manifests itself in the workplace? Sure. So just to put it a little bit in context, you know, in 2017, approximately 72,000 people died of an opioid-related overdose. And we know behind that, there are significant numbers of people who have an opiate addiction. Um, And we know that uh, through other studies that many of those people are full-time employed uh, employees. And I think sometimes there is this narrative that addiction only affects kind of poor folks and those who are unemployed. But, uh, you know, a Kaiser Health survey showed that 50% of people who have an opioid addiction are commercially insured. So so we know that there are many, many people in the workforce who either themselves have an addiction, either to opiates or other drugs, or their family members. It's just been kind of an extraordinary epidemic and has really taken a toll. And our workplaces are not immune from that. Uh, you know, we see it in terms of lost productivity. We see it in terms of higher health care costs for employees. We see it in um, absenteeism. We see it in significant uh, job turnover rates. And I think it's also important to understand, particularly as the labor market constricts, um, we know and we've seen reporting from uh, national and state reporting that employers are finding it increasingly hard to find people to fill positions because people are so affected by this epidemic. Hmm. You, you've done a lot of work at Boston Medical Center creating a workplace that's very friendly to people in recovery. Can you describe a little bit of some of the really unique things that you did there? Sure. So Boston Medical Center, we're a large uh, medical institution. We have about 6,000 employees uh, and uh, you know thousands more family members attached to them who are part of our BMC family. And you know it became very clear to us, not just in terms of looking at our own data, but hearing directly from some of our employees about how this epidemic has affected them or their family members. So we felt like we had an obligation obligation uh, to deal uh, with this. You know, many of our, uh, our, our employees are direct 
uh, healthcare providers, and we know that we have to, as an employer, uh, attend to the wellness and vitality of our workforce. It's really important, uh, uh, particularly for good patient care. So we embarked on this journey to really look at and deal with uh, creating a much more open and stigma-free environment. You know, one of the things that we know with addiction when you look at surveys is often people know that they have a problem, but one of the biggest obstacles for, for people getting care and reaching out and asking for help is fear of what their employer is going to say or do and fear about repercussions uh, in terms of their own professional development. And so uh, uh, we actually did our own survey and found that those kinds of fears uh, are within our employee population as well. Um, and, and particularly, I think, if employers have safety-sensitive positions, it's really important that we um, uh, create an environment where people are much more open and freer to ask for help. So, so we really embarked on this journey to really create uh, an environment where uh, people were m much open and freer to ask for help. And, you know, I, I, I'll start with kind of one of the simplest and most effective tools. And that was really communication from our um, our CEO and our senior leadership. Um, uh, September is National Recovery Month, and we actually hosted uh, a panel of our own employees talking about how substance use has affected them. And and I, you know I think it's a great suggestion for any other employer because I think we have a tendency to think addiction is someone else's problem, right? Some other family. And there was probably nothing more impactful than our own employees hearing directly from their colleagues about how this issue has affected them. And so that invitation um, and that uh, panel was kicked off by our CEO. Um, and so, you know, I think people, people employees are very attuned to uh, communication from um, our executives and, and um, really, I think, be, begun to hear that this was really an important issue. Um, one of the other activities that we did is we sent out a survey to all of our employees um, asking them, you know, if issues of substance use had affected them or their families, what more we could do. Were they even aware of the benefits that uh, we provided as an employer? And so there were some kind of simple things that we could do. Uh, the vast majority of our employees actually didn't know what their benefit package was as related to uh, treatment benefits, despite the fact that we have some of the best treatment programs in the country. So uh, actually, we just sent out a new employee guide on mental health and substance use benefits uh, as part of our open enrollment packages. So every, uh, every person um, uh, got uh, a guide uh, to it. We, we also really tried to uh, create a much more stigma-free environment. And one of the things that we did is um, we know the language that we use can sometimes perpetuate um, people feeling ashamed uh, and uh, creating a barrier for uh, people asking out. And we're also a medical institution, so it was really important that we not be using stigmatizing language like junkie and addict, um, and even uh, a substance abuser sometimes uh, can do that. So our CEO actually sent out a pledge to all of our employees, asking them to use um, non-stigmatizing language. This is not about being politically correct. This is really about like how do we uh, uh, treat and talk about addiction like we do other diseases. Well, so, and and help people change their attitudes. Correct. Uh, so that it, it creates a stigma. 
free environment. Yeah. One thing I loved about what uh, what you did also was the the ten word stories because that lives on more than an event even. But you had wonderful stories of that employees had written, and most of them were speaking those stories in a recording. Can you say something about that? Sure. So that was part of our recovery event and part of our panel. Uh, So we not only had live speakers, but we put out a request to our employees to basically talk about how addiction has faced it. Face um, has impacted them in ten words, and you know, and uh, um, it's it's actually on our website. So I encourage people to go and take a look at it's very it. Very powerful. Um, it's it's incredibly powerful, and you know, it's been very interesting to me as as employers have I think come to understand the magnitude. I've been at these kinds of events that other employees uh, employers have hosted with a panel, and and it's been equally as impactful. So you know, I think. Um, you know, one of the things that we know is people have a lot of stigma against people with addiction. And one of the ways that we can change that is by people's personal stories. And so whether it was in video form or in, you know, kind of live panels, uh, there is nothing more impactful uh, in terms of reducing stigma and creating a sense of empathy uh, than by people telling their stories. It's, it's different if I know it's you versus someone that I don't know. Yeah. I really like those. You also created a postcard, I think it was, that went home uh, with some basic uh, substance use education on it, and and a little bit about uh, words matter, and um, that that looked like a, something any company could do. Sure. So you know, one of the things that that we did, uh, largely as a result of our own journey around this issue, is um, you know we kind of package this. Um, and launched an employer resource library. Um, Some of this came, again, from our own work. Some of it resulted from outreach from employers who uh, were understanding the impact of this. We, you know, we certainly know that there has been, this has been widespread, uh, uh, but we also know that there are certain employers and certain industries that have been really hard hit by the opioid epidemic, the construction industry and the building trade industry, the fishing industry, uh, many of uh, folks who work in kind of manufacturing and uh, uh, labor positions have been really impacted. So so we kind of packaged up the work that we were doing um, and released it as an, as an employer library because we, uh, we felt uh, that um, this was really becoming a, uh, a significant issue and employers often did didn't know the kinds of things that they could or should do uh, to really diminish some of the 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 impact that uh, that uh, results in the workplace. The the library is incredible. It's really got, it's full of checklists and suggestions and testimonials. Really, um, something any employer could could take a look at that and take pieces of it and use it right away. That's exactly what we wanted it to do. Um, you know, And this comes from a place that we are an employer and right. we wanted to give. So this wasn't like an abstract concept for us. Like these, uh, we wanted the library to be kind of filled and we hope to keep evolving it. So if there are people who are listening who are doing some of their own work, we'd love to hear about some of the things that they're doing. Um, but we really want it to be, wanted it to be actionable, actionable and practical. Right. So we put our survey up there and we hope other employers take a look at it and modify it. We put our words matter pledge on there. We put our videos on there. And 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 it's really our hope that uh, we're not uh, 
act, uh, asking or expecting um, uh, employers to do everything, um, but we would love for them to do something. Uh, even if it's looking at their benefits and their benefits plans to see, you know, does it have kind of the good evidence-based services that people need? Um, you know, again, it's not just in employers' interest in terms of the well-being of their employee, but we know it affects the bottom line. Um, so th there is really, I think, a there is a demonstrated cost benefit for employers uh, to make sure that we're dealing with this, and as we would with things like tobacco um, and other activities that employers have really taken on. And when you mention benefits, um, can you say a little bit about the use of medication when people are in early recovery? Because uh, I think it's an area where people don't really know what to think about that. Sure. So. You know, th there is sometimes this um, disbelief that actually treatment works. Um, and I think some of that comes from media stories sometimes that only show the tragedy of it um, and don't show the fact that people can, if they get good evidence-based treatment, actually can and do recover and go on to live really successful and productive lives. And one of the things that I think is, is unfortunate is that particularly for people with who are addicted to opioids, we have three very highly effective medications. But unfortunately, um, many people don't have access to them and don't get on them. One, because uh, they might have some benefits challenges in terms of getting on those medications. So that's, I think, an area where employers can look at their benefits and uh, look at their benefits administrators and their health plans to make sure people have access to them. But, but there is also um, this myth somehow that uh, we're just substituting one medication for another, um, which nothing can be further from the truth. These are medications. And, you know, addiction is one thing, but taking a medication is another. Um, and so we actually know from study after study after study that people who have an opioid addiction do far, far better when they're on a medication than when they get treatment without it. And, and I think it's really important for us to do everything that we can to make sure that people have access to good, accurate information, but also that their benefits support being on these medications and being on these medications for as long as they need to. It's the same as the diabetic, right? If you need to be on insulin, you need to be on insulin. Uh, and it's the same with addiction, that we have these great medications. But unfortunately, because of myth and misunderstanding, uh, many people are not getting on them or don't have access to them. That, that's very helpful. What about um, naloxone kits in the workplace? Do you have a, a thought on that? Sure. So naloxone is this incredible miracle drug that has been shown to uh, dramatically uh, reduce uh, and reverse an overdose if given in a timely f uh, fashion. And we've seen uh, largely through work that we've done at Boston Medical Center where we can reduce overdose death by uh, making sure that anybody who's in a position to witness an overdose has naloxone. It's a really safe, effective medication. Administrations now look like a no they're a nose spray, right? Just like mm. Afrin or something like that, very easy to use. Um, and so what I think has been important, I know that there's been some businesses and industry, industries that have had overdoses on their sites. 
um, and have begun to look at um, either in training their own people to uh, uh, administer naloxone or making sure that they're on uh, they're on their sites. You know, it's very similar now. Um, we have AED devices, you know, defibrillators right. uh, all across the country. Um, and, and, and naloxone is kind of the same thing. So we just want to make this kind of routinely available because, again, you know, that uh, we've heard multiple cases where employers, uh, employees have had overdoses on work sites, particularly in the construction industry. So I, there's been a, a number of attempts to continue to make sure that, that uh, uh, we're giving out naloxone. Uh, it's one of the things that we do as a health center. So we routinely train our staff uh, in the use of naloxone. It's really easy and simple. I carry it. Uh, haven't had to use it, uh, uh, thankfully. But, um, you know, it's really, I think, an important uh um, uh, thing for us to do, particularly in the event that our um, uh, any of our employees did have a have an overdose on the job. Thank you. That's that's really helpful. One thing I was thinking about the workplace is how important the role of the manager is, because the manager is sometimes the only one that really has eyes on an employee. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about uh, the EAP training managers or what you would recommend sure. for manager training? Um, you know, so a couple, it's interesting because we're actually just rolling out now um, uh, required manager training on this issue. You know, clearly we want managers to deal with the performance issue that's in front of them. That's what their job is. Um, but we also want them to understand how addiction can manifest itself in, in an employee. You know, whether that's, you know, there's some typical uh, signs, right? You know, uh, uh, Friday absenteeism, Monday absenteeism, uh, distraction, or or um, uh, uh, not being um, uh, particularly productive when an employee is there. And clearly we want managers to focus on the performance-related issues, but to also understand that if people uh, have a problem, um, that in a very compassionate way we should be offering them help. Um, often EAPs can play a valuable role. Um, you know, and EAPs can play a valuable role from a communication standpoint as well. Even communication from them, I think, can send a powerful signal for uh, uh, employees to be able to, to reach out and ask for help. But we also want uh, to make sure that managers understand um, uh, how they might create a much more welcoming environment for, say, an employee who's coming back after a period of treatment. Um, certainly, there are legal things that managers have to know that uh, people in recovery are covered by the American with Disabilities Act and are um, are uh, allowed reasonable accommodations uh, to make sure that they're getting treatment or they're going to meetings. So there's certain legal requirements that managers need to know. But we also want to create an environment where people feel safe and supported. Um, you know, I this um, is um, not only a professional interest of mine, but it's a personal issue for me. I've, I've been in recovery for fortunately. A, a long time now, 30 years. But, you know, I, I had, uh, I, I was actually working for an employer not far away from where we're talking today. And, you know, my manager could not have been more supportive for me 
in terms of understanding and being supportive of my early recovery journey. Um, never made to feel ashamed, you know, wanted to make sure like I was doing the right things. Like clearly I was an employee and I had, I had to be accountable for the work that I was doing, but it just really felt for me, um, you know, particularly w- with issues of addiction, when people are filled with a sense of shame, um, that that we have those kinds of work environments that are supportive. You know, if if I had had cancer, I probably would not have not have hesitated to go into my boss and say, "Hey, boss, just want you to know I'm going through a rough patch right now, and you know I'll probably need to take time to get treatment, and you know this might be a little bit challenging at first, you know, and uh, you know, and we want uh, to create those kinds of environments with addiction or to have someone you know kind of come in and say hey you know my child is dealing with significant issues and I might have to take a day off you know to help support them so you know we want to create those kinds of environments that we do for people who have who are struggling with other health conditions uh, to have that kind of a supportive environment. So from an EAP perspective what one thing that we care about a lot is that people have a place uh, to go that's they know is confidential because in spite of everything that you try to do to make the subject okay, there's still going to be some people that don't um, trust or don't want to bring that forth in the workplace. But sometimes it's hard to get enough word out about the EAP. Any thoughts about that? Well, so one of the things that we did, it's really interesting. If you look at our screensavers now, our EAP is right on the website, right? Because it's a big hurdle for people to ultimately reach out and ask for help. So what we're trying to make sure that people know it's available. I think the more that we talk about this in an open way, in a in a in in a stigma-free way, I think the more that we create an environment where people are freer to ask for help. You know, I talked before about the importance of kind of senior leadership community. Communication. So, you know, I think if communication, not only from the EAP program and the EAP people, but having top-down communication, uh, I think is really important because it signals to the uh, it signals to the employee that kind of we care that this is an issue that's important for us. So, so I think it's really important to support the work of the EAP, uh, particularly with senior-level communication. Great, thank you. Has there been any change as this um, opioid epidemic has rolled out? Has there been a change to uh, drug testing policies for some organizations? Uh, not particularly, but what we have seen, and I haven't seen the data recently, and you know, but clearly, um, you know, when you look at the results of workplace testing, we've seen dramatic increases in those who are testing positive for opioids. We're also seeing dramatic increases in people who are testing positive for marijuana. Um, and it's really, I think, an interesting conundrum for employers as we have both medical and now rec- uh, retail marijuana here. Um, but, you know, I think it's important that, uh, you know, certainly we have to make sure, uh, uh, especially around safety sensitive um, uh, uh, positions that, you know, we're implementing those those kinds of policies in accordance with federal workplace law. But but I also think that we use them as a therapeutic tool mm-hmm. and not as a punitive tool. And I think that's really important to stress that, you know, drug, uh, drug place testing has its role, but we also want to make sure that it happens in an environment where it's uh, that the intervention to the large extent possible is therapeutic and not punitive. You know, I think the worst that we, thing that we can do is kind of drive this underground. And I 
think the more that we drive it underground, you know, addiction is a progressive disease and it doesn't get better often on its own. Um, so, so the last thing that we want to do is to create uh, an environment um, where uh, uh, people feel like it's a gotcha thing mm-hmm. um, or where we're not offering help and support for people who, who actually need it. Well, you hear so much about the barriers to treatment and that people experience. And one thing I've heard about the Graken Center is uh, how helpful it is in a crisis and that there's um, something for everyone and that it's really been created in a, in a way that people with all different kinds of resources or no resources could take advantage. Could you talk about what it's been like to be there and what's different about it from other treatment programs? So Boston Medical Center uh, has had a long history in creating uh, addiction treatment programs. And I think the way our our overall goal is just to make addiction treatment just part of everyday and routine health care. Um, so we have a very large addiction treatment program in our primary care clinic. So you can walk in to be getting addiction treatment. Somebody else can be coming in for getting treatment for any other health condition. And um, that creates a real stigma-free environment for someone when you're indistinguishable from any other any other person who, who comes in. Um, we have a program for adolescents and young adults because we know that they have their own special issues that we have to deal with. We have a program for pregnant women um, who uh, often pregnancy can be an ex- incredible motivator uh, for expecting moms to be able to get help. Uh, but again, they need to be able to do that in a kind of good, safe, stigma-free environment. Um, so we have a whole host of programs that I think really address kind of uh, you know the manifestations of addiction um, and try to provide not only good health care, but good specialty care for people who do that. The other thing that we're offering is, um, you know, uh, addiction is often referred to as a family disease. And that, you know, when parents first fear or think that their loved one has an addiction, um, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what's helpful behavior. You know, sometimes we've heard this kind of mantra about tough love, uh, when sometimes that's actually not the most productive thing that parents can be doing. So we actually launched um, a parent helpline so that parents can talk to a licensed clinician, talk about the issues that they're facing, and really uh, help with the assistance of these licensed clinicians come up with a plan, as, as well as really good resources for them. So we have a, 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 you know, a really good uh, uh, um, information on medication-assisted treatment. We have a good uh, resource guide on uh, how to support your loved one in early recovery. Um, so there's how to pick a treatment program. So there is a, a, a really a host of, of information. And then the other nice piece is that it also, if they want, links them to a parent who's been through this. Um, and who really, I think, uh, this is a parent who's gone through some specialized training, but they've gone through it themselves. And I think there is nothing more valuable than someone who's been through it offering support, guidance, mentorship to other parents. So we have a group of parent coaches um, who kind of stand ready to help other parents along their journey. That's, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I, so, you know, so part of the work of the Graken Center is not only to provide good addiction treatment and care for the patient, but also help support the parents along the way. 
Well, we're glad you're back in Boston. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's wonderful when someone can ha- blend their career with a, a calling. And I think that would describe you. And you. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Great. It's been great to be here. And, uh, you know, uh, again, really happy to help support uh, employers on their own journey with this and uh, really encourage people to kind of reach out, use the resources on our website. We'd love to hear from other employers if they're doing kind of creative work around this. We really want to curate a nice library of what employers have been doing around issues of addiction. Great. Well, congratulations. Great. Thanks. Good to be back. Thank you. From KGA, this is The Difference at Work. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you access your podcasts. You can find all of the organizations and resources we've referenced in this episode on the podcast page of our website at kgreer.com. You can also find KGA on Twitter under the handle of at KGA Inc. and on LinkedIn. And if you want to talk further about anything you've heard in this podcast, we hope you won't hesitate to call us. We can be reached at 800-648-9557. Thank you for listening.